Uh, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. I'm glad you're with us uh, today. After the storm that wasn't as bad as I think it was supposed to be, which I'm happy about. Uh, well, it's the beginning of a new year, and traditionally on uh, this Sunday, we would spend some time and look back. We normally uh, take time and, and just give thanks to God for what He's done for us in the in the previous year. It's kind of an all-church uh, activity, um, but with the with the storm that hit last night and um, the minor COVID outbreak that hit our church, I kind of figured we'd be light, so I'm not putting everybody on the spot to come up with 100 stories. Uh, and so we're going to do something a little different today. Um, we're going to look back a little bit, but I also at the same time want to try to look forward uh, to what I think the Lord is calling us towards as a church in 2022. So let's just take a moment, let's just pray. Invite the Lord's presence here and uh, go forward. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here today. Lord Jesus, we welcome you. Father God, we welcome you. Lord, we just ask uh, for your Holy Spirit just to be in this place. Lord, come and speak to us this morning. Allow us to hear from you. Father, we pray uh, for vision. We pray for direction. But most of all, Lord, we pray for your presence. Just desire to experience more and more of your presence in this place, in our lives. We welcome you here, Jesus. We just pray this all in Jesus' name. Um, I've been praying over the last few months about what God has in store for us for 2022. Uh, 2021 was really interesting for me because early on in the year, the Lord kind of gave me direction for the entire year and what we were going to go, what we were going to focus on. Um, and um, he got me all the way to Christmas. And I was ecstatic about that. Um, and then uh, towards the middle of fall, I started saying, okay, Lord, what about 2022? And he wasn't overly clear. And I, I had this great plan. Um, we're going on vacation in a week. And so this is my last Sunday for a couple of Sundays uh, to preach. Uh, we'll be here next Sunday, but someone else will be preaching, and then we're gone, and then we're back. And I figured, okay, when we're going to be away in a nice warm climate, um, 85 degree temperatures, watching the ocean kind of come, the Lord will probably give me the download for 2022. And then lo and behold, we get a snowstorm and a couple other things, and he's like, no, you got to preach on Sunday, not just like, just do the thing you normally do on New Year's week, which is um, kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just cop out and have the church do the sermon instead. Um, and so I, I really started pressing in. And like I said, we've been doing this for about two weeks, and, or about two months. And um, over that two-month period, uh, the Lord has just put this incredible expectation in my heart, uh, in my spirit, about what he's about to do this year. Uh, this sense that we're about to experience a season of renewal like we haven't experienced in 25 or 30 years. Um, I've got this incredible amount of expectation and, you know, from what I remember about renewal, when we were in the midst of a season of renewal, when the Holy Spirit was pouring out, when things were happening in Toronto and in Brownsville and in Anaheim and across, across the world, um, you know, my remembrance of it was just this incredible amount of presence of the Holy Spirit, so much so where you couldn't stand in the Lord's presence. You'd be at church and you'd just be overwhelmed by what God 
uh, was doing. I, I remember it always as being events and there'd be huge crowds and people's lives would be transformed. But at the same time, while I have this expectation, the Lord just kept speaking about something else. Uh, it, it was this sense of we're about to enter this tremendous season of renewal, but at the exact same time, he started reminding me of moments in our church where we were pressing in into intimacy with God. Uh, things that we were doing where we were focused on his presence, on prayer, on the spiritual disciplines. And none of those were like these exciting, you know, Holy Spirit event moments. These were really intimate, really small, very powerful, but, but just incredible. And in the moment when we were pressing into those things many, many years ago, there was a rhythm within this church. It was, it was amazing. Uh, it seemed like the entire church was on the same uh, the same journey with God. And, and we'd meet for prayer at certain times and we'd worship at certain times. And there just seemed to be this rhythm that wasn't just in the life of the church. It ended up being in our own personal lives. And, and I remember we used to talk about, uh, about things, you know, we were reading old stuff, you know, what, what the church was experiencing in the, in the early days of the church in the first 200, 300 years and what some of the stuff the mystics were going through and, we start talking about what would a rule of life look like, like the Benedictines had within our community, and, and how would that go? And, and we never really pressed into that much, but, but I just had this sense uh, as I've been praying that the Lord just kept reminding me of these things, about what he was doing in that moment, and, and the sense like we're supposed to pull somewhere into that. And so between those two elements, I've been struggling for months to figure out the words of, of what it means or what it looks like. But what's been interesting for me is as I've talked to other pastors within, within our community here in DeKalb, as well as pastors within our movement, I, I'm hearing the exact same thing. They're sensing the same thing, this push into something deeper. The sense that the Holy Spirit's about to pour something out, but that he wants to do something in his people. And I'm hearing things about spiritual disciplines. I'm hearing things about, uh, about uh, discipleship. I'm hearing all this stuff. Friday, um, Cindy and I went to breakfast. And, um, you know, it's interesting because we co-lead the church. And you would think because we live together that we'd like talk about the church and what the Lord's saying in our lives 24-7. But, but we're like you guys. We don't. You know, we, we have other things happening in our lives that we focus on. So I said, hey, let's go out to breakfast uh, on New Year's Eve. Let's go someplace away. Nice. And let's just sit and talk. I want to know what the Lord is speaking in your heart, what you see for 2022, and I'll share what he's speaking to me. And, and, um, and, and let's see if we can find some common ground in the midst of this. Because I knew I had to preach. I kind of knew what I wanted to say, but I didn't know how I wanted to say it. And so uh, Cindy kind of opened up the conversation saying, Joe, I'm struggling right now because, you know, it, it just I'm not hearing as well as I want to from the Lord. And and. And, and I said, yeah, I go, I'm kind of struggling the same thing. I've got these, these thoughts, these ideas, but I go, you know, I get just the sense um, that, that somehow somewhere as a church, you know, the Lord just seems to be speaking to me that, that we've missed our first love or lost our first love. And Cindy's eyes like popped open in her head. She goes, that's the exact same thing he's saying to me, that somehow, some way we've moved away from our first love and we're focusing on other things. And all of a sudden, he just felt the Holy Spirit just come in that moment in that restaurant uh, in, in, in Geneva and just just like just speak to us momentarily this idea about losing our first love that somehow some way we've forgotten what it meant to be 
uh, in our church, not just our church, but as the church of what our first love is. And, and the more we talked, the more we felt that that was the call for the new year, to reignite that passion for our first love. And that tied all of the other loose ends together somehow, some way. I think that's why the Holy Spirit keeps reminding me about things that we've done in the past, about the rhythms that we had in the past. Because in the midst of that, what we were really focused on was our first love on Jesus, pressing into him. So, so as I was thinking about what to preach about, the Lord reminded me about what I preached about many, many years ago. So we're going to go back to where it all started. In, in August uh, 2003, the first Sunday of August 2003, and I don't remember what the date was other than the first Sunday, that was my first sermon in this church. And, um, you know, there, there was a big transitional period, and um, the, the previous pastor, George, resigned uh, at the end of January, and we moved here at the end of January. And, uh, there was a big transitional period, and the church was kind of uh, in flux. And uh, I remember I preached a couple of times uh, when they were um, recruiting me or interviewing me, whatever the proper word is. And I was interviewing them as well to figure out if I wanted to be. And, um, you know, one of the sermons was, was kind of about me. One of them was more on the gifts. But, but I remember praying for that first sermon, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? And there was a sense within the church that I, I felt that the church felt like it had somehow lost its, its, um, lost its purpose. That the people that were there, now that the, the founding pastor had kind of moved away, they weren't sure what the future was. They weren't sure. They, were, they weren't sure what the Lord was still saying to them. And so I really got the sense that the Lord wanted me to come and speak a word into the church. This is what God has for this church. Um, there, there was a word floating around at that time on the Elijah list um, 18 and a half years ago that, that was really popular. And so I started the sermon um, with that, and that was out, out of Isaiah 60. And it was this. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, the darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. I remember I opened up with that. The rest of the sermons lost the time. Um, those early sermons of mine, uh, I don't know if the computer I had died or if I hand wrote them. I don't remember. It's been many years. I'm lucky I know where my keys are in the those sermons are lost. But I do remember that after I preached that, I opened with that, I moved to Isaiah 58 because I thought that was the word for this church, Isaiah 58. Um, and now we're 18 and a half years later, and the Lord's reminding me of that word. So I want to revisit it because I think it's a word for us as the vineyard. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, Open it up to Isaiah chapter 58. Verse 1 starts like this. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. We spent all of uh, Advent in, in Isaiah, and this is, ties into a lot of the stuff we were talking about. The early portion of Isaiah is really focused on the Assyrians as they're uh, invading 
Israel and are threatening Judah. Um, and, and so now we're at the tail end of Isaiah. There's a lot of conflict about the first half of Isaiah and the second half of Isaiah, if it's the same author or not. But, but either way, we've changed our focus now, and now we're focusing on Babylon. Babylon uh, is about to invade Judah. That's the context of this. And so the Lord is calling uh, judgment upon Judah, saying, the sins that you have done have brought Babylon to you. And, and, and they will take you away in captivity. That's a lot of this. And then at the end of all of it, there's a promise, a promise that God makes to his people about what he's going to do. And if you're in the spirit-filled world, a lot of that promise we preach on continually. Uh, what is it? Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach the good news, to heal the sick, et cetera, et cetera. That, that stuff is, is after this. And so this is the midst where God... It, it, is calling out Judah and saying, you know, what you have done in the past has gotten you in trouble. Babylon is coming. And he says this in verse 2, For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? There's an interesting picture that's being painted uh, to Judah here. And it's this picture of a religion of convenience. They seek God out. They do outwardly religious activities, but their day-to-day -day lives change. You know, they show up to temple and they do all of the things. They check their boxes out. But when they leave the temple, their lives aren't changed at all. They have faith one day a week and the rest of the six days a week, they do whatever they please. There's this picture of they have a religious life and a secular life. They do the things they think they're supposed to do. And how similar is that for us today in our society? We pray, we fast, we do everything that we think to do, yet it seems like at times God is not keeping up his side of the bargain. You know, we've been dealing with this COVID junk for the last two and a half years, two years. And I thought we were done. I really did. And I didn't want to put signs back up this week. I didn't want to call the church to masking. But all of a sudden, I've got friends who pastor bigger churches who have shut down this week because of outbreaks. I don't want to shut down. I get calls this week of people within our church who, who, who are positive right now. And I'm going to the Lord saying, you know, what do we got to do? It's been two years. Are we doing this all over again? I walked in this morning and I went to Bryce and I said, okay, I know we stopped the stream, but what would it look like if we were to like record on the good camera and just threw a tripod up and threw some junk out on the stream? And both Bryce and Nathan looked at me and were like, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. I don't want to do any of this. 
I'm tired of it. I'm exhausted. And it feels like times, that's how we are as a church. We've been crying out. We've been praying to God. And we're going, what's going on? You're not keeping up your side of the deal. But if we back up and we look at this passage, it appears that, that Judah, as the Lord speaking to them, that, that they live two lives. They have a church obligation, and they have the rest of their lives obligations, and neither shall the two ever meet. And we live our lives that way. We, we do the things on Sundays, or we watch the streams, and we have our spiritual life, and it's nice, and then we have the rest of our lives, and the two don't intersect. We're not the same people. That's the attitude that, that Isaiah is speaking to right here. That's the attitude. Now, most people are going to assume that the demand that comes after this is that you've got to be in church more. Y'all got to be here more. I want you to see on Tuesday nights. I want you to see a small group. I want you to, I want you to live at the church because the more we come to the church, the more we do church things. That's not it. God's response to them is not, you need to do more church. You need to do more temple. God's response to them is, you need to start living like the church. Verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Benjamin came uh, this morning and told us a funny story, my son. He, was, uh, he listens to the Nicky Gumbel uh, audio Bible, one year Bible. And he said... Um, he was really struggling because a 2022 version was not released. So he had to re-go back and find the old 2021 version. And then he said he got an email uh, today saying, oh, they just released it today. And they have two versions. They have the, the full version and the abridged version. And I joked with him. I go, oh, the abridged version. So what do you take out of the, the Bible in the abridged version? All those pesky sin stuff, you know? Do that. This is one of them verses that we would like to be abridged on the Bible. This is an uncomfortable uh, verse. Um, it makes us cringe in some ways. And there's a reason for that. There's a group of us pastors, spiritual pastors, that are meeting once a month to pray. We really believe that the Lord is about to do something big. Um, and initially we got together because we thought we would plan events, but the more we talked, we really felt the Lord was saying, just pray. Get together and pray. And so all of the spirit-filled pastors from the Calvin Sycamore getting together once a month. Um, and we're just praying uh, for the presence of the Lord, for His Holy Spirit to pour out, for renewal and revival to break uh, free in our churches, in our community. And, and one of the meetings we have, we started talking about some of the principalities over uh, this community. And, and there are clear principalities and powers that are over it. Um, and, and most of us agreed on, on what we saw. Uh, but one of them, one of the older pastors, he's been here uh, forever, much longer than, than I have, um, made a comment that, that caught me off of guard. And he said, there's a spirit that's in this community that, that is, is incredibly prevalent that I've identified as the spirit of individualism. And, and I never really considered that in the past. I, we have an incredibly 
heavy spirit of religion in this community. And that doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. Um, but that one I know is here, and there's a couple others as well. Um, but individualism. And I started to consider that and thought about it. And the more that I, I thought about it and prayed about it, the more I felt like it wasn't just something we deal with here in DeKalb. Um, I think this is a principality over our entire country. Um, there's something about us as Americans. We, we value our personal independence, right? What's the American dream? That you can come here with nothing, and through hard work and your own ingenuity, you can become a millionaire. You could be self-sufficient. Isn't that the American dream in many ways? Somehow to be self-sufficient, not need anybody else, not care about any, anyone else. And, and that, that's everywhere. That's everywhere. Years ago, I used to talk about how, how the dream was to be the Marlboro Man, not to smoke, but that picture of the lone cowboy on his horse, that John Wayne image. Kind of control yourself. But now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to people anymore. But, but think about the movies watch, right? What's the newest one that just got released? The, the Matrix movie, what's it all about? The Neo, the one, who's the one. About the stories that, that we enjoy telling each other. About the person, who, the individual who goes against the mass. Please. The sports that we look like. We focus on the individual athlete. Don't focus on teams. Focus on athletes, don't we? Tom Brady. That's all you need is Tom Brady. You'll win the Super Bowl. You don't need a team around him. You just need Tom Brady. Of course, if Tom Brady played for the Bears, I think he'd probably end his career pretty quickly. He wouldn't have a team around him. But but that's that's our mindset in many ways, isn't it? It's that individual. That can do it all. Can do it all. And that's the defining story of what an American is. Pull it up by our bootstrings, do it ourselves. Self-made man. These are the people we honor. And if you can't do it by yourself, if you're not a success, that's probably a character issue. And that, that's how we talk about it. It's probably an issue of your character. And we look down upon people who just can't pull it off, can't do it. We look down upon them. Yeah, we, we have charity around the holidays for them, but, but beyond that, I mean, poverty in many ways in this country is considered character. And that's the value of our culture. And somehow, some way, those same values have seeped into the church. Somehow, some way, politics, patriotism, my right as an individual have all become aligned on what it means to be an evangelical Christian. We're defined by those things, first and foremost. But the church is supposed to be different. We're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be Jesus' hands and feet. We're supposed to be identified by Him and nothing else. Bringing the church means that we bring the love of God, the love of Christ to the world. That's the call. That's what it's supposed to look that. So with that in mind, if that's supposed to be who we're supposed to be, let's look at verse 7 again. And fair warning, this will make you uncomfortable. But it's supposed to. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see them naked, to clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? 
He's talking about people who live in his community, people around them, some of them who are related to them. If you're in Judah right now during the first century, or I'm sorry, this is the first century, during the fifth century BC, you know, th this is a tight knit people. They're all related, they're all part of the house of Judah. And he's saying, your own flesh and blood, you're not taking care of them. You're not taking care of them. Do we share our food with the hungry around us? Those that don't have it. What's a poor wanderer? Think about that for a moment in our context. Who's wandering around? This isn't the poor. This is the homeless. Might even be able to stretch it and say this is the immigrant. This is the, the person who's been forced out of their own community. This is a picture of poverty, of hungry, of injustice and oppression. And all of that's in our town, but it's also in our church. But, but we've gotten an attitude, it seems like, in the church that if it doesn't affect us personally, we either ignore them, or we devalue them, or we villainize them. I'm going to just tell you a bit about my family so you guys know. Um, we're poor. I don't brag about it, but we're poor. According to, according to government. We don't get health insurance through church. I don't get health insurance through any of my jobs. Um, I do a lot of freelance work. I do a lot of part-time work. Cindy does part-time work. We're just putting an income together that, that comes together with the income we make from the church to try to survive. That's what we do. We're a small church. And so my health insurance, and I've had people tell me, as a pastor, do you really believe you need health insurance? Yes, I really believe I need health insurance. Our health insurance comes from the Affordable Care Act. That's when we buy our health insurance because we can't get anywhere else. And, and you know, Cindy and I, we're both people of a certain size, which makes getting health insurance privately even more difficult for the ACC. Last year, uh, at the end of 2020, there were Supreme Court cases that were uh, getting pushed through, and the goal was to see the entire ACA swiped out, canceled. And there was a promise that we'll figure it out when it's done. And I got a lot of friends who are Christians who were cheering this thing on, calling anybody who was on the ACA freeloaders. This is my family. This is my family. And I remember sitting with Cindy going, I'm terrified. Because if we lose our insurance, you and I, I mean, one of the clauses of the ACA is you can't turn people down. I go, we're not going to be able to get health insurance, period. We're not. And we're getting to a certain age where, you know, it's nice to have. And we're still 10 years away from where we'll get it on the other end for retirement. And I, the frustration that I had at this moment is I saw other believers just hoping for that demise just frustrated me so much because I felt you don't have any skin in the game. You don't understand what it's like to live here. You've got a good full-time job that provides health insurance. I don't. 
hurt. It really hurt. But I just want to get one thing clear. This sermon is not about me asking you to change your political or economic views. I, I don't want to do that. I love our church because of the diversity of our church. Politically, we are all over the spectrum, and I think that is awesome. But instead, I want you to consider how we live out those views. Are we advancing the love of God, or are we diminishing it? Look, God has called us to be the church, not just to each other, but to those he brings in contact with us. And are those people going to, those people, they're not going to always look like us or act like us or even believe the things we believe. There's a great story in, in the New Testament, the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and we read that and we've, we've kind of diminished that story, right? The Samaritan's like the good guy and everybody else is like the bad guy. But when Jesus told that story, it was scandalous because the Samaritan was the bad guy. The Samaritan was, you know, fill in the blank for whatever person in the world is villainized in our country. That's who the Samaritan was. The Samaritan was the LGBT person. The Samaritan was the illegal immigrant. The Samaritan was the refugee. Whatever you want to call it. The Samaritan was the guy who was a part of Black Lives Matter. Doesn't matter. Pick it. That's who the Samaritan is. And so there's a person in need. And all the people who are the good guys, the scribe, the priest, the teacher of the law, they ignore him. But the bad guy does something. And what does Jesus say? You like the bad guy. That's who your neighbor is. It doesn't matter what your political, what your social, whatever your racial affiliation, it doesn't matter. The love of Christ supersedes all of it. And so as we interact with one another, that's how we should interact. Jesus told that story to make a point. Being the church is not about what group you're part of. It's how you treat other people, especially the people who are not part of the group that you're used to being in. How do we live that out? Now here, here's where it gets interesting. Here's where the promises are, right? First part was the hard stuff, now the interesting stuff. Verse 8. Then your light will break forth like dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. We want to see the world be transformed. We want to see the light of the gospel move forward. Isaiah's blunt here. If you want to see it move forward, then you need to treat the people around you very differently. I find it fascinating that, 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 that everything is based on how we treat others, our healing, our protection, our prayers being answered. Now look, this has nothing to do with salvation, right? Salvation is, is by faith alone. Israel and Judah are still God's chosen people. That hasn't changed in this. But as gracious as God is, He's also just. And He can't bless us if we're acting in unjust ways. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry, 
and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Look, this isn't about the poor. This is about how we act. Emily has a really dear friend. Um, Emily, we lived in Georgia for years, and, and Emily's best friend is from Georgia. And they've been, you know, we've been up here eight and a half years, and they have stayed best friends uh, through that whole period. It was, she was Emily's mate, uh, matron of honor at her wedding. Uh, but the thing is, um, Emily's friend and Emily, politically, are like polar opposites on their Polar opposites. And, and they, they spoke. I want to say it was Thursday or Friday night. They spoke for a few hours. They talked about some of the stuff that's going on and some of their differing views. And at the end of it, her friend said to her, you know, Emily, that's why I like you and we're best friends. We can have different views, but we still love each other. Still love each other. Think about that for a minute. Look, we all have different views. We all have different concerns. But, but we still love each other in the midst of all of that. Verse 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets with dwellings. Notice God's promise for them. It's this promise for us. This was the word that I gave the church. That in the midst of what seems to be destroyed, in the midst of what seems to be broken and dead, in the midst of the most dangerous and, and, and difficult times, the Lord will give us the strength. The Lord will be with us. The Lord will rebuild us. So much so that we will be known as the one who rebuilds the walls, who rebuilds the city, who rebuilds Everything. God will pour out His provision in a time of need. This is a holistic view. God's provisions will pour through no matter what is happening. He's speaking to them and saying, the glory days are going to come back if we just follow Me. And He's saying the things to us. If we just press to the stuff that He's called us to. It's not just about what we do. But what we do honors God. And that's what's important. Are we actually honoring God? Verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking Sabbath and doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it not by going your own way or doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land, to feast on the inheritance that is your father Jacob's. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Look, this isn't just about coming to church on Sunday. This is a picture of This is a picture how are we honoring God in our lives? How are we worshiping God? 
not just about coming to church on Sundays and leaving, coming to church and checking those boxes, doing the bare minimum we can. This is about living in life as part of a grander Remembers their first love. I gave this 18 years ago plus to the church. And the journey we've been on in the last 18 years has been interesting. We've seen the great times, we've seen the times. But I believe the word is still true for today, that God's promises are still true for now, that He hasn't forgotten us, and that He still wants to release this. And it all starts with that comment, a concept of arise and shine, for your light has come. For, for being light starts with us remembering why are we here in the first place. Remembering that our first love is supposed to be Jesus. That's our first love, our foundation, everything. And the enemy has done a tremendous job of dividing us as a culture, as a community, as a nation, and as the church. I've never seen the church so divided. There's a promise here in Isaiah. As, as we remember our first love, as we become a people who, focuses, who focus on God's priorities, not our priorities, but on God's priorities, God will begin to bring healing. He will rebuild what the enemy has destroyed. And, and if anything sounds re renewal, that's what renewal sounds like to me. Church bring, when God brings renewal to the church, He's renewing the church. So as we start this year, we're going to start by beginning to focus on our first love and how do we rekindle those flames. Later this month, we're going to start by focusing on our spiritual health. We're going to dig into that. And as that improves, I think we'll begin to experience more intimacy with God. I think we'll begin to see a rhythm go back to this church. Once that happens, I really believe that we will begin to experience everything that God has for us, that the glory of the Lord will begin to shine out of us. So as it shines out of us, we will truly become a people who change the world. Our hope, our hope as followers of Jesus can never be in anything other than Jesus. Our hope for transformation can never be in anything other than Jesus. Because we know that as Jesus transforms our lives, He transforms the world. Holy Spirit, come. Come into this place. Lord, I look back at 2021 and I just thank you for all the tremendous things that you've done. Lord, you've done tremendous things in this church. Father, we've seen, what, three salvations, three baptisms, four salvations. Lord, we've seen people's lives uh, infected, changed, and transformed. We've had moments where we've, we've experienced the fullness 
of, of your presence, the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Lord. We've seen healings come to this church. We've seen hearts physically become healed. We've seen people move from, from sickness to life. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you've not forgotten us, that you've not left us, that your presence is still light is still burning. But Lord, we realize that, that over the past two years, Lord, act Lord, help us remember our first love. Lord, reignite the first love within our hearts, passion for you, passion for Jesus. Lord, the world around us is trying to speak so much stuff to us to draw us away from you, to draw us away from Jesus. Lord, the world is so busy trying to convince us that so many other things are more important than you. They're not. So Lord, I pray as we enter into this new year, reignite the flame within each one of our lives. Reignite the passion in our hearts for you. Reignite our first love. Lord, make us a church that is in fire for you. Lord, allow us to experience intimacy with you, the fullness of your presence. Lord, allow us not just to experience it on Sunday, but Lord, day in and day out, as we walk, as we go, as we go into our everyday ordinary lives, Lord, allow us to experience your presence in our life, your kingdom in our life. Lord, we cry out to you, begin to transform us into the people that you want us to be the people that you that you created us to be, that you destined us to be. Lord, reignite the flame in this house. The passion in this house. The hunger for you in this house. Lord, we come to you today. We have nothing. We come to you empty. We come to you uh, weary and tired. silence and reflection in the Lord's presence. It's a great time to start studying. So I encourage you, as you go, think about things like that. Not just think about them. Some of us are tired. It's been a hard couple of years. If that's where you are, I just want to invite you to feel free to come up. We'd love to pray for you today. Some of you are dealing with issues. Otherwise, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever He sends you. May He guide you in the wilderness. May He protect you in the storm. May He bring you home rejoicing at the wonders that He has shown you. May He bring you home rejoicing once again into our dreams. Happy New Year, everybody.
great Sunday. Stay warm.